Well, our sermon passage this morning got me thinking about a story from the Old Testament that I know many of you will be familiar with, but maybe haven't thought about quite this way or in quite this context. See, in our passage, we're going to be looking at Acts 3, 17 to 26, if you want to go ahead and open there or turn there. In our passage, Peter talks about the fact that all the Old Testament prophets had spoken of the things that would that had happened with Jesus, right? And and his, in particular, his uh, suffering, his death. And included among the prophets is Moses himself. And you might think, well, what did Moses say that prophesied about Jesus? We're, we're going to see one particular passage uh, later that Peter quotes, but uh, there's a story that Peter tells that also, in a way, prophesies about Jesus, in particular about his suffering, but also about his exaltation. So you know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? And what most people remember about Joseph above everything else was that he had what? A coat, right? He had a coat of many colors. And the reason why he had that fancy coat is because he was beloved by his father. And he, was, he was the favorite son, but his father loved him deeply. And though he was the beloved son of his father, his brothers hated him, rejected him, wanted to get rid of him. Is this starting to sound familiar yet? And so what they did was they threw him down into a pit, lowest place. Right, threw him down into a pit, and some of them wanted to kill him. But one of them, or at least one of them, maybe in a couple, but at least one of them said, well, let's not kill him, let's sell him. Also sounds pretty familiar, right? Let's sell him, and so they did. Some traders were passing by. They sold him to these traders who were going down to Egypt so that Joseph became a slave And there he ended up in prison, falsely accused, right? Falsely accused, thrown in prison, and uh, eventually, through interpreting dreams and and different circumstances, right, that God brought about, eventually, Joseph, who was rejected by his brothers, sold for money, thrown into a pit, falsely accused of things he didn't do, Uh, and condemned, right, thrown in jail, Uh, he is raised up to where he is now second in command in Egypt. We could say that he's seated at Pharaoh's right hand. And as he is seated at Pharaoh's right hand, his brothers who rejected him come to Egypt in great need. Because there's a famine. There's not enough food. But God had told Joseph through Pharaoh's dream about the the famine that was coming. So he had stored up all this grain. So his brothers come to Egypt not knowing that Joseph is there. And certainly not knowing that he's second in command in Egypt. For all they know, he probably died a long time ago. They come to Egypt in desperate need of food. And they essentially come, just like Joseph had dreamed would happen, they come and bow down before him. They plead with him to give them 
uh, food, right? And there's a whole whole long story, right? Of what happens and Joseph knows who they are and all these kinds of things. But at the end of the story, what we realize and what we're told is that God had promised to bless Abraham's family and to bless the families of the earth, to bless the world through Abraham's family, and in particular through one of Abraham's descendants. And in a small but significant way, Joseph's own brothers receive not only blessing, but a kind of salvation from their brother whom they hated and rejected, but whom God raised up to second in command in Egypt, when he provides not only food for them, but allows them to come live in the land of Egypt and takes care of them, they when they come and bow before him, receive the blessing that God had promised, even though they didn't deserve it. That is essentially what Peter wants to see happen among the Jewish people in relation to Jesus. They hated him. They rejected him. He was sold for money by one of their own. They called out for his death, and he died. But God raised him up, not only raised him from the dead, but raised him up to his right hand where he's seated in heaven even now. And Peter is going to tell them, the blessing that God promised to Abraham can be yours if you will now come and bow before the Jesus whom you rejected. If you will turn back to him you will experience the blessing that God promised to send through him. So that's what is going on. That's the big picture of what's going on in Acts 3, 17 to 26. I already read the whole chapter earlier, so I won't read these verses again, but we will jump into them and start working our way through them. Just to remind you of what has just happened, Peter and John have come to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was a man there who had been lame since birth, so he couldn't walk, never had been able to walk. And he was healed through Peter, but by Jesus. Peter makes very clear, I didn't heal him. I didn't heal him because I have some special power. I didn't heal him because I'm some super godly person. Jesus healed him. By faith in Jesus, this man was healed. And so a crowd of people, not surprisingly, has gathered around them. They know this guy. He's been sitting here for years. They've known for years he can't walk. Now all of a sudden he's jumping around and praising God and sticking close to Peter and John. And they want to know, like, what happened? They're just amazed at this event. And Peter takes this opportunity to preach the gospel, to tell them about Jesus. And so he does. He he reminds them, look, you rejected the Messiah. You rejected Jesus, but God raised him up, and he's still alive, he's still at work, he's the one who healed this man. And that's where we pick it up in verse 17, where he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. So here's the first thing we need to note that Peter says here. Ignorance does not remove the need for repentance. So if you say, I didn't know that was a sin. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. I didn't know that he was the Son of God. 
If I had known, maybe I would have responded differently. But because I didn't know, no harm, no foul, right? I'm off the hook because I, I didn't know. Peter says, no. That's not how it works. You did act in ignorance. But that doesn't mean that you get off. You still have to repent. That's what he's going to say in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Now, in what sense did they act in ignorance? Should they have known that Jesus was the Messiah? Yes. Could they have known that Jesus was the Messiah? Yes. Did some of them know that Jesus was the Messiah? Yes. But what Peter is saying is, most of the people who rejected Jesus and sent him to the cross, they did not do so thinking, I know he's the Messiah, I know he's the Son of God, but I don't care, and I want him to die. That's not where most of them were coming from. Most of them probably thought that Jesus was a fake Messiah, right, or just a guy who was causing trouble, who needed to be dealt with. Most of them did not think Jesus was the Messiah, and yet still chose to reject him. Uh, Paul says the same thing later in another sermon, excuse me, in Acts 13, where he says, those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. In other words, Paul says, Yeah, they should have known he was the Messiah because the prophets talk about him all over the place and they hear the prophets every Sabbath. But they didn't realize, they didn't recognize Jesus as the one the prophets were speaking about. And they didn't know that when they sent him to his death, they were actually fulfilling the prophecies they had heard read Saturday after Saturday, Sabbath after Sabbath. That's what he means when he says that they acted in ignorance. They could have known, they should have known, but they didn't realize what they were doing. But even still, they are guilty. Even still, they need to repent. Even still, their sin, even though it was committed in in ignorance, needs to be dealt with. And that's why Peter, in verse 19, calls them to repent. Repent, therefore, he says, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now, what does that word repent mean? What is repentance? Well, Peter gives us a really simple and clear explanation right here in this verse. Because he says the same thing again a different way. He says repent, and then he says turn back. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning back. Repentance is turning back from your sin, back toward God. If you've ever uh, been on a road trip somewhere, I know some of you are traveling over Thanksgiving and whatnot. If you've ever been on a road trip somewhere and you took a wrong turn, you've had to repent. <laughs> right? Right? If you, if you took a wrong turn that you couldn't like somehow turn into a shortcut that you meant to do all along, right? You had to repent because at some point, here's what has to happen. At some point, you have to admit, I went the wrong way. I didn't know where I was going. And now I have to turn back and get back where I left and start going the right way again, right? That's repentance. It's humbling because you have to admit you were wrong. 
It's hard, right? Because you have to turn back. You can't just keep going and pretend like everything's fine. I know right where I'm going. I'm doing the right thing. The longer you do that, the more people look at you and shake their head and go, oh my goodness, when is he going to just own up to the fact he doesn't know what he's doing or where he's going? That's what Peter's calling them to do. Look, you took a wrong turn. But it's worse than that, right? It, it's, it's not just a wrong turn. You went the wrong way. You rejected the Messiah. You are going the wrong direction. And if you keep going that direction, he's going to tell them it's, it's going to be bad for you. But you have an opportunity to turn around. You have a chance right now to turn back. And if you turn back, if you repent, if you will admit you were wrong about Jesus, if you will say, you're right, I was ignorant. I didn't know he was the Messiah. I did reject the one that God sent for my good. If you will acknowledge that and you will turn back, then here's what he says will happen. Your sins will be blotted out. If you turn back, he's not going to constantly remind you about that wrong turn that you made. That's not what he does. If you turn back, he wipes that part of the trip out. He wipes that decision out. He wipes out, he, he erases your sin. He blots it out. If you will repent. If you will turn back. And not only that, he says, uh, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. So you've got repentance that Peter calls for. And then if you repent, you receive remission of sin, right? That's forgiveness. And then also this refreshing that he promises and a time of restoration. Now, this part is a little bit more difficult to understand what he's talking about, mainly because he's talking about things that happen in the future, right? Anything that is still future for us is sometimes hard to, to understand the details of what Peter is saying. Now, he could in verse 20 when he says, you know, repent, you'll receive forgiveness, and there'll be these times of refreshing that may come from the presence of the Lord. That could just mean uh, that God will give you rest, that God will refresh you, that God will restore you. Uh, we know that whenever, uh, whenever you are going the wrong way, whenever you are in rebellion, whenever you are walking in sin, it's hard, right? Uh, the Lord Jesus, I think, said to Paul, it, it, it's hard to kick against the goats, right? It's hard to be stubbornly going the wrong way. It's painful. If you repent, there'll be rest. That's what Jesus promised, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or it could be talking about uh, a wider blessing, something like what we think of uh, when we think about revival, right? Of, uh, if, if all these uh, people among the Jews would turn at this time back to Jesus, maybe there would be a wider blessing, a wider revival, a wider refreshing uh, that would come. It, it, again, it's difficult to, to nail down what exactly he is promising. But at the second half of the verse, he talks about God sending the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke. So that's clearly referring to 
the return of Christ, I think, the, the latter time when Jesus will return and he will make all things new. That's what Revelation 21 promises, right? That there will come a time at Christ's return when there's a new heavens and a new earth and when, as, as John heard, uh, God will make all things new, a time of restoration of all things, I think is what Peter is referring to there. Now, you don't have to understand all the ins and outs of that last part. What is this time of refreshing? What is, when is the time of restoration going to happen? You don't have to understand the ins and outs of all that to understand the basic message that Peter is preaching, the basic response that Peter is calling for. What we need to do is we need to repent. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to turn back to Jesus. This is the message that we have been tasked with taking to the world, calling people and telling them, look, you, you may have not realized what you were doing. You may not have known that you got off the path, but you have, all of us have. But God is merciful and God is gracious. And if you will turn back to him, if you will repent, if you will trust in Jesus, all of that will be wiped out. It will be forgiven and there will be not only remission of your sin, but also rest and refreshing and restoration, ultimately, coming from God himself. That's what Peter is calling them to. But there's something else he's doing here in this passage that we don't want to miss Uh, I skipped over verse 18 on purpose because I want to tie it to uh, verse 22 and what comes after that. Verse 18, he says, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So he's emphasizing, Peter is here, that what happened with Jesus was not something surprising, was not something Random was not something unpredictable. In fact, it was something God did predict. God did foretell through the prophets. They spoke about the suffering of the Messiah, of the Christ. He talked earlier, right, about how uh, in verse 13, he says, The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. The prophet Isaiah loves uh, to speak about the Messiah as a servant, as God's servant. And it's Isaiah who says as plainly as any of the prophets that this servant, this Messiah, will suffer in our place for our sin. Right In Isaiah 53, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Peter is saying that God spoke about this through all the prophets, not just Isaiah, not just Moses, but all the prophets speak about this. And then he mentions Moses again in verse 22. He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Now, this is a prophecy from Deuteronomy 18 where God says to Moses that he's going to raise up a prophet who will be like Moses But this prophet's going to be even greater than Moses. And he says that the people need to listen to this prophet. And if there was any doubt about whether or not Jesus is that prophet, God himself makes this clear to the sort of inner circle of Jesus' disciples. There was a time when Jesus took Peter and James and John up on a mountain. You remember this? The mountain of transfiguration. 
He took Peter and James and John with him up on this mountain, and they see Jesus' glory unveiled. His, his clothing becomes as white as light or as lightning. Uh, his, his glory is shining out radiantly, brightly. And on this mountain they see with him Moses and Elijah, probably representing there the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, which would represent a, a summary of all the Old Testament scriptures. And Peter, not really knowing what to say, but saying something, right, says, I could build some tents. We could all stay up here. Right? It would be great. But while he's speaking, the scripture says, and this is in uh, Matthew 17, as well as um, other passages in the Gospels, it says, while he was, or he was still speaking, Peter was, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes... They saw no one but Jesus only. The message there is really clear. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is the one you need to listen to. Jesus is the one I told Moses would come. A prophet like him, but greater than him in Deuteronomy 18. That's him. Here's why Peter brings that up. He came and they didn't listen. He came and they rejected him. He came and they ignored him. He came and they betrayed him. He came and they sought to get rid of him. They were supposed to listen. What happens if you don't listen to the one God says you're supposed to listen to? Verse 23. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter says, here's what's coming. And I don't, I don't have to make this up, and I didn't even need some kind of special you know, revelation from heaven to know this. This is already in the Scripture. This is already in the Old Testament. I'm just applying it to you. God said He would send a prophet like Moses. He came. It's Jesus. He said we were supposed to listen to Him. You didn't. He said if you didn't listen to Him, you would be destroyed. That's what's coming for you. That's why I'm telling you, you need to repent. If you repent, you won't be destroyed. If you repent, you get refreshing. You get renewal. You get restoration. You get remission of sin. If you keep going the wrong way, if you insist on continuing on the path that you have turned down, you will be destroyed. But you don't have to be. If you will turn back. If you will Repent. Peter's claim, in other words, is this. To reject Jesus is to reject the Messiah, to reject all the prophets, to reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has told us that He is a God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You have transgressed, you have committed iniquity, you have sinned. But if you will turn back, 
God will forgive you. God will have mercy on you. God will blot out all of your sin. And you will receive the blessing promised to Abraham. Notice verse 25 and 26. He says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God's intention through Abraham was to bless all the peoples of the earth and to bless Abraham's family. You are the sons of that promise, of that covenant. You're the sons of the prophets who spoke about that covenant. You of all people, he's saying to the Jewish people who are gathered there, you of all people should be receiving these blessings. And you can. And you will. If you will repent. That's why he says in verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. That's what he promised Abraham, right? Blessing. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. If you won't turn from your wickedness, you won't receive the blessing that God has promised. But if you will turn back, if you will turn to Jesus, if you will trust in Him, then the blessing you have been counting on, that you have been waiting for, for generations, for centuries, for millennia, will be poured out upon you from God's own presence. But know that it's not going to stop here with you. God sent it to you first, But it's not going to stay here. It's going to go to all the world. It's going to go to the Gentiles. That's what we're going to see unfold in the rest of the book of Acts. But that's what God promised even all the way back to Abraham. In your offspring, which is ultimately Jesus himself, right? In Jesus shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And they're going to have to repent too. Paul says in Acts 17, see if this sounds familiar. Now he's preaching to Gentiles. Totally different group of people, totally different context, same message. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the message is ultimately the same, no matter who is hearing it. Ignorance is not an excuse We all know better or should know better whether we have rejected Jesus himself or whether we have simply suppressed the truth about God in general. We have all turned aside and gone our own way. We have all chosen sin over God, over his son. But if we turn back from that rejection, if we repent, if we trust in Jesus... There is full and abundant pardon. Full and abundant blessing. The blessing promised all the way back to Abraham. God's true and lasting blessings only come through Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Son of God, who will one day return and restore all things. If you're not a Christian the next step is really clear. Right? Peter's calling you to repent. Peter's, people, Peter's calling you to trust in Jesus, to turn back. If you are a Christian, it's really good news here. 
really good reminder for us here. You may have sins that haunt you. You may have periods in your life that you have deep regret about. If you've turned to Jesus, if you're a Christian, they have been blotted out. They've been blotted out. God's not holding them over your head. Whoever's holding them over your head, it's not the Lord. They have been blotted out. Jesus has paid for them in full. God is blessing you and will continue to bless you forever because Jesus paid it all so that you might experience not only repentance, not only remission of sin, but also restoration and refreshing. Let's pray.